we've been going through inductive Bible study, you know, how to how to observe, interpret, and apply the biblical text in a way that is true to what the text says. Um, so that we're within the guardrails of, of this is what the text means, this is what we do with it. Well, so last week we were talking about uh, consulting uh, resources that you know, we have the wealth of resources that we have available to us in biblical interpretation means that, in large part, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Because there are, there are individuals out there, very learned, very, you know, people who've been gifted, and they've done a lot of the legwork, and we can go to these resources and look and see, what does this what insights does this other person have on, on the text based on their education, their learning, their... Um, so we don't have to study the Bible in a vacuum. That there are other, there are resources available to us. They are not scripture. We don't place them on the same plane and the same authority as scripture. But they are helpful in helping us to interpret and understand what the text means. Well, now we're at, we're getting down to the brass tacks of Bible study and interpretation. So now that we've seen what's in the text, and we've interpreted the, you know, the one meaning of what the text says, what do we do with it? How do we move from what the text means to what should the text compel us to do? How do we apply this in our life? Real quick, I'm going to interrupt you real quick for a second. Because there's something that I said last week. I listened to the report last week as well. Oh, you know what? That came across a little bit differently than I intended to, and I want to correct it a little bit. There was a question last week about finding resources and things online and information online about historical background, about whatever else. And I kind of was kind of down on some of the online resources, it, more in favor of some of the published resources. In my mind, I was thinking more about like blog posts and people writing stuff on Facebook and you know just different because there's a lot of weird ideas out there that people just throw out and But there are a lot of commentaries that are in the public domain that are available online that can be very excellent resources. So just on while you you just mentioned the topic of you know, looking at and consulting different resources, I want to throw that out there as far as just a correction or a clarification and addendum on the comments on the question. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, but I do think the, that the, the caution is well taken that, you know, with, with any resource, not all consultative resources are created equally. Um, and in the age of the internet, while the internet has made a ton of resources readily and freely available to us, um, it's also kind of the wild west of publishing. That you will get some very high quality resources that are freely available, and this is a wonder, a wonder and a blessing to God's people to have it freely available. And then there are some that we should run for the hills from. Um, so there does need to be a certain amount of discernment 
this is where knowing the background, you know, kind of looking, um, what Kenny described as kind of looking, un looking under the hood comes into play. Um, the background of the background of who did the commentary, you know, where are they coming from? You know, is this is this you know Joe Blow from around the corner who has absolutely no idea, who just has some ideas but has no particular background, no no particular education or insight, but other than just you know, I opened up the Bible one day and this is what I feel like it says, or is this someone who they've done a lot of research, you know, maybe they're in a seminary and they just believe in making their resources and their research freely available. There, there is a qualitative difference in that. And so, especially with the online resources, we need to look under the hood. Who's putting it together? All, all of this brings us to how do we apply this in our life? You know, so we've come through observation, interpretation, we're now on application. What do I do with what I know now? Application is, it's based on the idea that God, that the Word of God is eternally relevant for His people today. That while the Bible, the text of the Bible was written at earliest, about 2,000 years ago, some of it is as far back as close to 3,500 years, that a text that is that old can also be relevant for us today and will continue to be relevant for God's people tomorrow should he tarry. Application must look at how a text is best appropriate. That means we're bridging the gap between this is what the text meant then and there, to the, by the person that wrote it to the people that received it. And we're bridging the gap to the here and now. The Bible was not written to me, but it is for my benefit. I am not the original recipient. But there is a meaning that can be, there is application that can be appropriated from the text based on the one meaning of the text. But valid application cannot happen in the absence of sound interpretation. If your interpretation is wrong, you're not going to get valid application. One can't, valid application cannot happen without sound interpretation. Because without sound interpretation, your whole basis for making decisions is off. Application begins by finding sensible parallels between interpretation and application. That while I am not the original recipient, there may be parallels in my life to what the original recipients were experiencing that I can draw a parallel of, 
huh, well, this is what the text meant for them. This is the situation, this is their context, this is what it meant. And based on the parallels of invalid interpretation, sound interpretation, this is how I can apply the meaning here into my life today. And that's not always easy to do. There are some texts of scripture that we will see where application is very clear cut. You know, in some of the New Testament passages where Paul is giving commands and exhortation to the church, well, application, it's not it's not a large step from interpreting the text to applying the text today. But what if we're reading an Old Testament text from the Mosaic Law? We're, we're talking a gap, an additional 1,500 year gap. The text isn't being written to the church, it's being written to Israel under, under the Old Covenant. How do I bridge that gap? That step is a little bit bigger. Okay, that step is a lot of bit bigger. But it can still be done using valid application that's based on sound interpretation. So there are, there are three basic steps to application. First, we have to determine what the text might mean to us today as the people of God. This is kind of looking at the full array of what the text, of what the text could mean. Um, and that's not saying that it's any meaning, any potential application today, because we have to consider valid applications. Second, we want to narrow it down to, okay, what does this text mean for me personally? And this isn't to say, well, I feel like the text means this for me, and my truth is my truth. This, this isn't a relativistic application, but it's, it's the acknowledgement that each one of us are in different life circumstances. So practical application may look a little bit different for each person based on their life circumstance. And finally, we must as the book put it, we must do theology. That means that we have to systematize the teachings. We're organizing it into a coherent system of principles based on sound biblical interpretation. We search for consistency. We, we look for consistency that if this is the application, this is the application. And we try to generalize that and have that come out in how we live our lives. But first, we have to establish the relevance and legitimacy. That's not saying that we, that oh, the text is only legitimate based on what we say. Well, that's not legitimate. When I'm talking about establishing legitimacy, what that is is we're establishing legitimate applications of the text. That based on the one meaning of the text, based on sound exegesis, the application naturally flows out of that. You look like you have a question. I do. I do. 
because we're at different stages in our life than I mean, we were the day before, or than we are the next year, that the Holy Spirit will guide you to what you need to take from that. Is, is that... No. I, I'm torn by that. Like, where's the balance in one meeting versus how it applies to me? So, here, here's maybe an example of that. So, we see in Scripture where we have the, the command, honor your mother and father. Okay? What does that mean? What is the one meaning that comes out of that? Well, I mean, the command is fairly straightforward. It's pretty straight up. Yeah. Well, that's the command is fairly straightforward. We're we're to honor our mother and our father, and we're told by, you know, in the New Testament by Paul, you know, honor your mother and father. This is the first command with a promise. Okay. So there's the meaning. I mean, the meaning is like right there in the command. Honor your mother and father. What's the practical application of that? That different. There you go. That's how, that's how a text with one meaning can have multiple applications. For example, a child that still is living under their parents' roof, honor your mother and father is going to look a little bit different than for someone who is, they're married, they're out on their own, they're raising their own family. They still have a mother and father. But that's, that's going to look different than for a child who's living under their parents' roof. And yet the command is still the same and the meaning is still the same, and yet we're going to find that application can be different. What if also, how does honoring your mother and father look like if, say, you're a child who has or you're an adult who you've come to the Lord, you're a Christian, you claim the name of Christ, your parents haven't. Versus if your parents have. Honoring them can look different because at the same time, we also have a responsibility to God. And if our parents are like, no, you're going to honor me, but you're going to do this, and you know, God, that, that goes against Scripture. Honoring our parents can look different based on the stage of life where we're at. It has different implications. And so, but I, I think where you're getting at too is, you know, you read the text and the, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Um, yes, the problem is, and, and we believe that in, in reading in reading the scripture, we believe that God speaks to us today through his, through, through his word that's given to us, written, and that through his spirit, he can, he will, he can show us the meaning of the text. We believe that. Um, the problem is with the approach of, I'll just read the text, is, is that leads to kind of, of, practically speaking, it leads to a very loosey-goosey approach to scripture and Whatever I feel like at the moment, like, is this the spirit of God leading me to this, or is this what feels good to my flesh leading me to this? And without, and it, it leads to, 
yeah, it, there's no guardrails, and it leads to the approach of whatever I feel like this means, that's what it means. And you get some really wonky theology that comes out of that. So my, my response to that would be, yes, but. Um, yes, we believe that the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to us as given in the scriptures that are written. Um, we don't we don't believe that I have some type of special revelation of God sent to me and this is holy writ. Again, that's going to lead us to some really wonky theology and we, we see that today. Um, so, I think, honestly, that's kind of a perfect segue into establishing the relevance and legitimacy. And after that, it's practically appropriating the meaning and then doing theology. There's a, the guiding principle that we use in application is that which is meaningful for our day must have its foundation that there should be a space there. I recognize that gives a, a totally different meaning than what I mean. <laughs> It, it must have its foundation in correct interpretation. The meaning of the text, that is the meaning of the text in its original context. So, sound application comes out of sound interpretation. If your interpretation is wrong, you will have invalid application grow out. Another way of saying that is, a text cannot mean what it could never have meant for its original readers or hearers. If that's not what the text meant, because we believe that, that any text of scripture typically has one and only one meaning, so it can't have meaning to me today that it didn't mean to its original recipients, because that's not just one meaning. The text has one meaning. It can have multiple applications. These are our guardrails. This is our, these are our guardrails in application. We ask ourselves, does this application find its foundation in the meaning of the text? And we have lots of guardrails to determine the meaning. So if we, have, if we have used sound principles to determine the meaning, our, question, our one question really is, does this application find its basis in the meaning of the text? If it doesn't, it may be a perfectly sound principle, but we can't say that it has its meaning in the text. The question comes up, we already know what a text means. Why do we need to know how to apply it? We have the meaning. Why do we need to know how to apply it? We know what it means. Could someone look up James 22, 1, 22 through 25? But be doers of the word and 
not hearers only, deceiving themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So why do we need to know how to apply it? Because it's not enough. <laughs> because it's not enough just to hear it. You have to live it. We have, we're told, we have to apply it. Be doers, not just hearers. You were given the warning by Paul in, uh, in 1 Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. If we're just hearers, we can become quite knowledgeable and quite full of it. But rubber meets the road. What are we doing with that? So we have to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And if there were, if there were a text that were our theme text for this particular section of inductive Bible study, this would be it. Be doers of the word, not just not hearers only. Yes, we have to be hearers. Absolutely. We have to be hearers. But be doers. You know, we're told later on that faith without works is dead. We have to be doers. That the word of God is living and active, and it should be living and active in our lives. So that don't be hearers only, but be doers. So we have some stages of assessing application. The first stage of, of assessing the application is we have to evaluate the relevance of the text for today. There's a few different parts of this. There's um, there's considering the covenantal context. Is this something that's, that is situationally particular? You know, do we have a one-off? Do we have kind of a one-off text? And what's the context? Um, a situation, you know, a text where we have something that's kind of situationally particular is in Judges. We have Deborah as a judge. And what's What's the reason why Deborah as a judge stands out to us? Or why, what's one of the reasons why that should stand out to us? Because she's a woman. Because she's a woman. Yeah. Like that, that right there should probably jump right out to us. Is that something that's situationally particular? As we read the whole context of Judges, we don't see another we don't see another woman show up as a judge or, or a leader of Israel. You know, we don't see a queen of Judah. We don't see a, a well. I take that back. There is a queen of Judah, and that doesn't go well for anybody. I think it was Judah. I think it was the mother of Josiah. Um, yeah, but it, this, is this something that's, 
a recurrent thing? It, or is this situationally particular? What do we, is, are there things that we can draw from situationally particular? Maybe. But if this is something that's situationally particular, we probably have to be much more cautious in our application of it. You know, remember our hermeneutical triad, but right at the very beginning that there's historical, literary, and theological context to any text that we read. So we have to consider, are there historical peculiarities in this text? Um, what's the literary type? Because not all literary types readily lend themselves to ready application. What do we do with the Psalms? The, psalm, the Psalms are beautiful. We know their literary type is poetry. How do we apply that? Is there application that comes from that? Something we have to figure out through application. We have to look at the theological context, and that goes to that first part, what's the covenantal context? Um, we have to consider theological movement and potential discontinuities between the covenants. Are there things applicable? Are there things in the new covenant that are different from the old covenant? Are there parts of it that have been fulfilled and are you know, no longer applicable? You know, we look and we read Jewish dietary laws. Yet we go to the New Covenant, where we see that that law is, you know, that, that that's no longer applicable. Yeah. So there are things to consider in that regard. Well, it's the amazing thing about it is while the law itself, the letter of the law, okay, we're pretty much baking now, right? Praise yeah. the Lord. We're pretty much baking now. And yet, there's still an application from that law for us, even if the application is don't eat bacon. Not, it's not don't eat bacon. Right. Right? So there's the, the, the principle of what was behind those commands to help inform the modern application. Absolutely. Yeah, we we see in yeah, modern application of that could be, you know, because there's a few different places where the New Testament talks about what goes in. But, you know, we, we see um, you know, Peter, Peter's vision or his dream of, you know, the animals, you know, on it, and you know, says, go eat. I can't eat that. These are all unclean. Don't call unclean what I call clean. We see, we just saw in Mark where Jesus' confrontation <laughs> with the Pharisees um, over the disciples not washing their hands before they eat, and Jesus tells them, you know, not what goes into a person that makes him unclean, it's what comes out. So we can put these together, and there's still application that can be drawn of, yeah, there's still something for us today in that. But is the application, oh, we can't even make it? Well, no, because that, that's not supported by the text. But there is application for us there. We also have to consider the literary dimension that commandments, precepts, and admonitions tend to have greater applicability than narratives, parables, or genealogy. 
that some texts more readily lend themselves to doing. Some texts are what we would call knowing texts. You need to know what's going on. You know something about God. You know something, you learn something about the nature of man. But there's not necessarily a clear-cut application from it. Yeah. But, you know, commandments, precepts, and admonition are readily like, you know, do this, don't do this. Oh, well, it's like right there. This is a doing text. We also, when we're evaluating the relevance of the text, we have to consider, is the text describing or prescribing? The biblical text describes a lot of very evil and sinful behavior. Does that mean it's prescribing that for us today? The Bible describes David's adultery with Bathsheba. The, the biblical text describes polygamy. Does that mean the biblical text is prescribing that for us today? a huge distinction that we need to keep in mind when we're, when we're figuring out how to best apply this text. Is this text describing or is it prescribing? Because again, if we confuse, if we confuse that, we can come up with some pretty wonky theology. There are some that have, based on the confusion between, especially around polygamy, described versus prescribed, have come up with some kind of wonky theology. We also then we move to we have to determine the legitimacy by drawing parallels between interpretation and potential application. There must be sensible parallels between what the text meant and what it means. What it meant then and what it means to how yeah, what the text meant then and what it means today will be the same. So the application, there should be sensible parallels drawn from that meaning. You know, we look at Jewish dietary law. The application is going to be radically different. And yet, the meaning, it's about cleanliness. It's about being clean versus unclean. What's the application that I can draw out of that? Applications that are not supported by the context of the text are not legitimate applications. One that one oft-abused text, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, I scored that touchdown. I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, is that what that text means? But you can see how if the meaning is wrong, of course the application is going to be all over the place. But what do we know, especially through our 
previous foray through the book of Philippians, what's Paul talking about here? Because immediately before, in verse 12, he talks about, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the context? Paul's imprisoned. He suffered. Oh, does that, does that give what he says a greater context? Is Paul talking about, well, because I've got Christ, I can do anything? Or is he talking about, I can endure anything, I can endure all suffering for the name of Christ? I know how to be lifted up. I know how to be brought low. As I'm being brought low right now, and yet I can endure it with joy because I'm suffering for the name of Christ. Huh. You mean Paul's not talking about scoring a winning touchdown? Huh. So if what Paul is talking about, if the meaning of this text is I can endure all things. I can endure all suffering for the name of Christ. What's the application that comes out of that? It's not, not a rhetorical question. What's the meaning that can come out of that? If the meaning is I can endure all suffering for the name of Christ. I, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. That has very, very real practical application today. Because the truth is, we're told, we will be persecuted for the name of Christ. We're going to receive pushback. We're going to receive persecution. So what's the application of that? I can endure it with joy. I might not like it. It certainly may take away my creature comforts. It may put me in discomfort, but you know what? I can endure this. I can rely on, I can endure this. I can, Christ will give me strength. And if I die, I die, but I know what I died for. And I died for something better. And that's okay. Yeah, Paul's not talking about a sporting event here. I mean, maybe he is with the Coliseum, but... <laughs> So when we're talking about drawing, draw, you know, drawing parallels uh, between interpretation and application, there are certain steps, and I realize we are running short on time, so I am going to kind of fly through these. So one is discovering how the original author intended his original audience to apply the text. That is the then and there application. 
What did this mean? What did the original author mean for his original audience to do? We have to distinguish between doing texts and knowing texts. Does this text want me to know something about God, salvation, the human condition? Or is this text commanding me to do something? We have to distill the underlying principles of the text. One where this really comes into play in our Psalms readings on Sunday morning, we have, we have gone through a stretch of the, the imprecatory Psalms. These are very hard Psalms to read. They're not Psalms that people sit back and they think, oh, this is wonderful. No. He's calling down judgment and fire and damnation from God on the enemies of his people. Like, yeah, this is just wonderful and uplifting stuff. But what's the underlying principle? Our God is a God of justice. Our God does not let the wicked go. They will face his justice. God will vindicate his people. Oh. We have to determine the appropriate boundaries of what the text could mean. Not all applications of the text are legitimate. Perfect example is what we just went over with Philippians 4.13. Sure, an application could be, hey, yep, I can, I can win that football game because God gave me strength to do it. Sure, that's definitely an application. But it is not a legitimate application of the text. It is not within the boundaries of that text. And a way that we can work through this is developing scenarios in which the text can be applied. Work, you know, brainstorming through your head. Work it out in your head. What does this look like in practical application? Okay, this is how I think this applies. Well, how do I apply this at work? How do I apply this at home with my family? How do I apply this with someone that I meet on the streets? That's where we move from just knowing to doing. We become not just hearers, but we become doers. That third step in assessing application is we can use teaching points of discernments to answer the primary questions of application. What does God want his people to know through this text? And what does God want his people to do through this text? This goes back to distinguishing between knowing and doing. Description versus prescription. We read through Judges. There's a lot of description. There's a lot of things that God wants us to know through the book of Judges. I would probably say there are not many things in Judges that God wants us to replicate. Because if there's any book of the Bible that is a case study in train wrecks, it's the book of Judges. We probably should not end with this. 
But there are definitely things that we need to know. What does God want his people to know? What does God want his people to do? And again, I come back to why does it matter? Come back to our theme text. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Father, as we go into how to apply your word, we pray that you would continue to grant us discernment and wisdom to know what your word, your perfect law means, but that we would not just stop there in knowing but that we would be doers of your word, that we would strive to live out the faith that we 